Good morning again, everyone. I'm Nayaswami Mantradevi. This is Nayaswami Krishnadas. And it's our joy and pleasure to be with you here this morning. And as I mentioned before, we're broadcasting from the Temple of Light. And so we're totally online this weekend. And um, because of the smoke and the fires here, but um, we're just feeling with you as one. This morning, the reading is, who are, the, who are true Christians? And I'm reading from Rays of the One Light, Commentaries on the Bible and the Bhagavad Gita by Swami Kriyananda. Truth is one and eternal. Realize oneness with it in your deathless self within. The following commentary is based on the teachings of Paramahansa Yogananda. Jesus Christ said in chapter 10 of the Gospel of St. John, all that ever come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. Many Christians, not surprisingly, um, quote the saying in condemnation of other spiritual teachers, not only the Old Testament prophets, but also Buddha, Krishna, and others who lived before Jesus, as well as, by inference, any who came after him. Yet Jesus himself said in Matthew chapter 5, Think not that I am come to destroy the law or the prophets. I am not come to destroy, but to fulfill. Nowhere do we find Jesus condemning or even gently criticizing other spiritual masters. His criticisms were reserved for worldly attitudes and for those hypocritical Pharisees who had allowed religion to become for them a pretense. Paramahansa Yogananda explained that the expression, all that ever came before me, referred to those spiritual teachers who placed their egos and their self-importance ahead of the Christ consciousness in the sense of drawing people's devotion to themselves and not offering it where alone it truly belongs to God. Yogananda himself was very firm in this regard. For example, he never spoke of anyone as his disciple. Instead, he always insisted, they are God's disciple. God is the guru, not I. Ego is a way station on the soul's journey toward enlightenment. The soul is first trapped in lower bodily forms, and then slowly it evolves to the human level, at which point self-consciousness appears. Only in human form can self-consciousness transcend material form altogether, including the lower identity of ego consciousness and discover the true divine self within. Self-consciousness manifested as ego is an incentive to deliberate self-development. Later in this process, the development, however, the ego becomes an obstruction. Inevitably, new spiritual aspirants do not emerge effortlessly from the vortex of ego consciousness. 
Desire must be offered up resolutely and evermore wholeheartedly on the altar of infinity. It is a gradual process, and few, even among those who seek to help others, are free of ego. If, however, their motive in teaching is not to serve, but to be served, they deserve a severe reprimand as Jesus gave them. For their direction of development is no longer upward, but downward. In the name of giving up desires, they are creating new ones, as it says in the Bhagavad Gita in the third chapter. Desire obscures even the wisdom of the wise. Their relentless foe it is, a flame never quenched. Intellect, mind, and senses, these combined are referred to as the seed of desire. Desire through them deludes and eclipses the discrimination of the embodied soul. O Arjuna, discipline your senses, and having done so, Work to destroy desire, annihilator of wisdom and of self-realization. So give God the credit for everything you do. See him as the true doer. Thus, through Holy Scripture, God has spoken to mankind. Good morning, everyone. I'll start with whispers from eternity. I want to build a rainbow bridge of self-realization. The gulf of ages lay between thee and me, widening as the waters of my oblivion of thee grew through centuries. I stand on this rocky shore of matter, gazing out over the gulf, hoping to see beyond thy smooth shores of peace. My inner thought architects will build for me a bridge of constant remembrance of thee. The strong mental girders of self-control now are being riveted together. My dreams of thee gather to make a rainbow bridge a self-realization over which very soon I will reach thy home. So it's good to be with you this morning and wherever you may be. The topic this morning, who are true Christians? Well, the simplest answer would be, we are. We are true Christians. Now, what I love about even being called a true Christian is it is something we can hang our hat on, just as we could hang our hat on that we are true disciples of a great master, Paramahansa Yogananda, many of us, or devotees thereof, and this lineage, students and followers, devotees of Swami Kriyananda. We are so blessed to be able to uh, count ourselves among this spiritual family. Now, if you go back, the dogma of who is a true Christian, we probably wouldn't be considered that or those. I know in the early years, we used to 
sort of when the marketing got going and everything was in print and you wanted to keep it short, um, you know, how would we describe Ananda, our path? Because it, it wasn't as easy in a few lines. Because were we Christians? It depended on who was asking the question and what did they mean by Christian? We'd say, well, what do you mean by that? And if it meant Jesus is our only savior and on and on, then we might say, well, no, we're not that Christian. But whether we live and serve to align ourselves with Jesus as the Christ, the true, a true son of God, then we would say, well, yes, certainly. But we also would be a Hindu or a Buddhist, aligning ourselves with the great masters that are all true Christians and that have reached the goal of what a true, true Christian would be. So in the dogma of who is a true Christian, um, I know in my early years, uh, I had left the church. My mother was a devout woman, full of faith, a, a Sunday school teacher. And we were brought up, you know, having the Bible read to us every night and with quotes, Bible quotes and maxims and slogans and on and on. And uh, it was beautiful. We were brought up in, in the strong faith of believing in God. God loved us. It wasn't sort of a fundamentalist expression of uh, being a sinner and so on. I suppose that might be in the dogma, but we didn't, weren't emphasized that in our upbringing. However, when I reached the, the, uh, the adolescent years, like many of you all, likely, uh, very conveniently when we wanted to sort of probably have a good time. Um, I left the church because I couldn't agree with the, the dogma that Jesus was the only son of God. And I, I kept saying, well, he's the only son of God and, and he was sent to save half the world. What about the other half? What about people that um, never heard of Jesus? And what about, let's say, a little baby in Africa that was born and died days after it was born, never even had a chance to be uh, indoctrinated by a well-meaning missionary or even heard the concept of Christianity or, or knew of Jesus Christ. I, what, what happens to all of these people? Or all the people that lived before Jesus walked the earth. So those answers, they couldn't come forth with answers to that, so it was convenient to, uh, and, and in truth, there, I couldn't really hold a strong conviction to that. So uh, I, I wandered a bit and then found yoga. And a few years after that, met Swami Kriyananda, who introduced me, like you, to Yogananda's teachings and many of Swamiji's uh, interpretations of his own, uh, flushing out the, the most practical spirituality that Master Paramahansa Yogananda came to bring to the West on how to be a true Christian, how to be a devotee. So the dogma was that you accept Jesus that died on the cross for our sins and that we uh, need, needed to be baptized. We had to accept uh, sort of some kind of church affiliation and maybe the whole route of confirmation and all of the steps, well-meaning steps and steps I would imagine, I, I do imagine, I do know, 
if you go back to their origins, had great meaning and still do for, if it's done in the right spirit. But through Kali Yuga, much of the dogmatism that happened in religion, particularly Christianity, uh, it deteriorated, it degenerated into churchianity, is what Yogananda coined that phrase. So we have this uh, churchianity rampant today in the West, and the Christianity, I'm sure there are many true Christians uh, walking this earth because we are, uh, because they are responding to that, that call within their own heart, maybe overlooking the dogmatisms in their own religion or not belonging to any religion. But we stand together, as Jesus said himself, I have sheep that are not of this fold. There are devotees everywhere, and those are our brothers and sisters. Particularly on our own path, we have brothers and sisters everywhere that we are blessed to have this sangha together. So if you have a problem with, or if you can't accept Jesus died on the cross for our sins, baptism in some formal religion, affiliation with some church, and on and on, then does that make you not a true Christian? Well, in the Sanatana Dharma teachings that uh, Paramahansa Yogananda brought to the West, which all his teachings are based on, and all true teachings of any avatar, any path, says that we are children of God. We are made in his image. We are not born a sinner, our native state, and have to, unless we believe in Jesus, become free. That's our ticket out of uh, this delusion, maya, and our ticket into heaven. Rather, the main criteria Paramahansa Yogananda gave, that is quoting Jesus, but to all those who received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God. That is the criteria. Receiving the Christ consciousness within your heart, within your mind. Well, Jesus gave the first commandment in your body, mind, soul, with all your body, mind, soul, and strength, our entire being, which means we are aligning ourselves with his will. We are aligning ourselves with his will for us. And the second, by their fruits ye shall know them. That's the whole criteria of, of what a true Christian is. Receiving the Christ consciousness, opening yourself up, putting out the energy to, to have that attunement. And that's the crux of that, is attunement with that consciousness. And then, by their fruits ye shall know them. Doing God's will. Now, Yogananda had a lot of fun with, in his day and age, there were fundamentalist Christians, just that there are today. And he gave that example of the woman that uh, came up to him and said, uh, you must be uh, saved by the blood. And he goes, produce a court. And she didn't know what to respond to that. And he said that there are so many people that are just spouting these maxims or, or slogans, almost a jargon, that they don't even know what it means. Whereas he came and he said, I'm bringing the original Christianity and original yoga. As you know, that's the kind of the second prong of master's mission. Kriya yoga, go first. The 
unity between original Christianity and original yoga is taught by Jesus and Krishna in the Gita and World Brotherhood colonies, which we are blessed to be a part of, whether it's a physical colony or the Sangha that's virtual, that's becoming so much more energized. Uh, if we can call it a benefit from this pandemic, it is uniting us, I think, in much deeper ways that we are all able to have this satsang with Ananda online just putting out you know, classes and satsangs, everything being uh, available to everyone, no matter where you are. So what about this, uh, by their fruits you shall know them, doing God's will? That is fundamental for the devotee. And we must try with all our heart and soul to do that, you know. That's, that's the, the whispers reading I gave, I gave the we, we First we wake up, and then it's that steady climb. We might be able to say, call ourselves a true Christian, call ourselves a true disciple, but working towards the fulfillment, the goal that ever seems to recede before us, nevertheless the goal being self-realization. That's when we will become the truest, you might say, of a Christian, manifesting its full consciousness. And that's what is before us, to do that. Now, to do God's will, it's not easy. This is why in the reading it's coupled with desire and attachment, being man's enemy. Because we want to do that will, but we get eclipsed by misunderstanding, samskaras, uh, just com compelling ideas that are lacking in wisdom, on and on. We all have our Achilles heel. But nevertheless, if we, are try if we are making that effort to align ourselves with God and Guru, that will has to manifest. If our utmost and ultimate and highest desire is to reach God, to commune with God, to attain self-realization, Yoganandaji says, that too is a desire, a desireless desire, and that too will have to be fulfilled. It's just a matter of time. So keep that uppermost in our consciousness. We have a powerful lineage of masters blessing us. We need to be ever mindful of that and draw on their, their presence, on their guidance, on their blessing, this ray we're a part of, and attune ourselves to that consciousness. Yogananda gave, and Swamiji, Swamikriyananda gave so many examples uh, in his life with Yogananda, and many of them we know, but some of them are a little more obscure, but shows, you know, what I always say is like, you know, if we were going to drive over a cliff, we would almost expect Master to uh, save us, not out of presumption, but if it's, if it's the big one, I would think the Guru's gonna, his grace is going to be there. But all the little ways, you know, all the little ways, and I'm sure it happens for you too in life, you know, just the right phone call happens at the right time, something that happens in your life, and you think, wow, that's Divine Mother showing us that she's very aware of us as her child and is sort of blessing us in small and, and, and big ways. The small ways are sometimes more sweet. Um, Yogananda showing his omniscience. There was... Uh, this child that lived at uh, Mount Washington. And it was Christmas time, and the child 
uh, got a present for Master. And when Master saw her, he said, you got a pre present for me. And she said, you peeked. And he said, I didn't peek. Divine Mother told me and wanted me to thank you. Now he knew about that gift. This little girl giving her Christmas gift. Another uh, woman that was the first woman, uh, Michelle Evans, that Swami Kriyananda initiated into Kriya. I don't know if it was his first initiation, but he said he did initiate her. And she, uh, she was told by Master not to drink alcohol, which she, which she obeyed. But then in time, she thought, well, maybe he doesn't mean uh, beer or wine. You know, I could see whiskey and brandy, but maybe beer and wine's okay. And it, this way, sociably and entertaining in her home, she didn't have to, it made it easier. So the next time she saw a master, uh, he looked at her penetratingly and said, I meant all alcohol. Now he knew that. He, had, he, he picked that thought up. I'm thinking, amazing. You know, just, just in all these little ways. Uh, and the man that came to him and said, I have a tricky, uh, I'm suffering from a tricky heart, he said. And, uh, and master reached over and grabbed a pair of scissors, and he said, I'm not going to operate on you. <laughs> and then uh, he just snipped the button off the man's waistcoat right uh, near his heart, and he said, leave that off for a month. A month later, the guy came back and said, hey, I'm not having any heart problems right now. He goes, yeah, you were always fiddling with that button, and you were causing an irritation there. Amazing. I don't know what the AMA would say about that, but uh, these are amazing things. Now, as Swami Kriyananda put in his path in many of his writings, just all the ways Yogananda knew what the devotees were thinking, what he was thinking. And he proved it again and again, where he said, I know every thought you think. And this, this boggles our minds. We cannot comprehend omniscience like this. He knew every thought of every disciple all the time, simultaneously. What do we do with that, you know? But it's true, he showed it. Either you believe or you don't. We live with Swami Kriyananda. All of you have tuned into him. Why would he make these things up? It would be too elaborate of a conspiracy theory. Um, other direct disciples say the same thing. At any rate, we have, and so my point is that Yogananda is a living reality. He's a living reality. He said, those who think me near, I will be near. In some ways, uh, Swami Kriyananda, Swamiji said that he was more with us when he left the body with, without the sort of sometimes the obstacle of the physical form, which I and perhaps others can say about Swami Kriyananda as well, that now that they're not in the physical body, in this form, we, could, we feel their presence much more. So Yogananda, Kriyananda, they are alive now, and we just need to tune in. That is how we will gain in, by their fruits ye shall know them, the fruits will manifest for us if we align ourselves with that consciousness. You know, I was, I was thinking divine will, divine will, tuning into divine will, having a tune with divine will, God's will, guru's will. Always thinking about, well, okay, what it is God will be God's will uh, in what I'm going to do 
what I'm going to say, how am I going to handle this situation? What is God's ultimate will? That we live and feel his bliss. That's the ultimate wish of the guru. See, I, I have this consciousness to give you. Open yourself. Open yourself. All these ways we're taught to behave and the teachings that are come down from the, the, the Vedas of ancient times and into the Upanishads and the Gita and yoga, Patanjali's uh, Yoga Sutras and on and on into the volumes of what our own guru or what Yogananda gave with Swamiji's flushing them out so thoroughly in all directions. We have so much. But you know the essence? That's helping us so that we can align ourselves, get rid of our egos, the main problem, not to eclipse you know, this, the, ego, the ego and the maya that it swims in and its influences on us, the samskaras and, the, and, and on and on, the, the bad environment, which I love uh, Falstaff in one of Shakespeare's plays. He said, he said, bad company was the ruin of me. You know, and he was right. The influence of uh, environment. You know, just an aside, Yogananda said, we should read Shakespeare every day. You know, in that, in that era, how did people get teachings? There wasn't, no, no one could hardly read or write. Some wrote books, were they even available to people? The theater was a way to get some message across. We wonder who was Shakespeare. But anyway, Yogananda said, read Shakespeare every day. Full of, those plays are full, page, line by line of very deep wisdom. Anyway, so we have all these teachings, uh, but the main point is so that we can clear our consciousness and feel the bliss of God's presence all the time. I'm going to give one example of Brother Lawrence. I mean, he was so simple in practicing the presence. Brother Lawrence, beautiful, very tiny book, lived in the 1600s. He was, uh, he actually served in a war, the Thirty Years' War, and was, uh, saw some very horrible atrocities, he said, and was wounded. He limped after that. And then he became a footman to some, uh, some uh, French, you know, official. And, but described himself as a clumsy lummox. So he became a religious, joined the order, because he felt that he needed to be censured for his clumsiness and his faults and that God will take care of this and he could, you know, be, be uh, corrected in this way. And he said that God outwitted him, that far from being censured, he found only satisfaction and that God had outwitted him and he, and he only found satisfaction. So that I was thinking, well, the guru is going to outwit us. If we could just give ourselves over to the guru, give ourselves over to his will and what he has for us and what he has prepared for us, identically and specifically for you, for me, 
for each one of us because he knows us better than he knows ourselves and he, he would just he will pave the way our job is to attune ourselves with that so brother lawrence lived a very simple life he, he was actually described by a french theologian to he said he, that he was gross in nature but delicate in grace an agreeable combination obviously because god found favor in him and thoroughly blessed him brother lawrence was in a state of god communion all the time and it didn't matter what he did he worked in the kitchen for 15 years then he went on to work in, as a shoe repairman and all he could do he said thoughts are just it's a shame because thoughts get in there and all they do is disrupt our communion with god so we're given what the powerful techniques of meditation hangsa om kriya and master said that kriya is all we need it's all we need to accomplish everything we need to accomplish if we could stay with a strong steady sadhana and serve he made it so simple meditation service and aligning ourselves in meditation attuning to god's will communing and enjoying the bliss to whatever degree we could have of it and then take that into service to those around us our fellow man the world so let's there's so much going on right now not an easy time i imagine just how difficult it is for some and we pray for them but we do have our teachings and our raft through this tumultuous time there have been other times worse we don't know how bad this is going to get but there have been other times and we have the wherewithal the blessings of our masters the spiritual path our spiritual family spiritual friendship and the grace of god namaste most high our heavenly father all our lives we dedicate to thee all our labors all our joys and woes all our pleasure all our us each a channel of thy peace when in darkness guide us from above where there's sorrow may we sow thy joy where there's hatred may we share thy love Lord most high our heavenly father all our lives 
dedicate to Thee all our labors, all our joys and woes, all our pleasure, all our melody. Make us each a channel of Thy peace. When in darkness, guide us from above. Whether sorrow, may we sow thy joy. Where there's hatred, may we share thy